0: of entrepreneurs, they are going, they want to do do it themselves. So piggybacking on, on the com- previous conversation, uh, you are right, it is easier to do it yourself. It is faster to do it yourself. Because mm-hmm. guess what, you have been doing it yourself. Uh, but draw a line. You
1: Hey, everyone. This is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. And I'm your host, Devin Miller, the uh, serial entrepreneur that's uh, done several 7 to eight figure startups and also runs his own uh, patent and trademark law firm, uh, Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today on the uh, uh, podcast, we have another great uh, guest that's going to tell us all about their journey, uh, Nader. And uh, if hopefully I say your name right. I've I, I, have a hard time with uh, with names sometimes, but I think it's Nader, right? Uh, Nader. Nader. All right. It doesn't sound quite right, so it was close. So Nader, and uh, Nader, he uh, has uh, run a few companies, had three failures, and I'll let you talk a little bit about that, and uh, now is on to a hopefully much more successful company. Um, And so welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here.
1: So I gave it just a very brief introduction, but maybe if you want to share with everybody a little bit more about your journey and the three failures, the ones that made money, the ones that didn't, and what led you up to what you're doing today.
0: For sure, for sure. It just, uh, I'll take you back to exactly yesterday, we did our third launch. So same same person, same idea, trying to put the right package together. So it, it took three launches and I think I finally have it right.
1: Okay. So... Now now with yesterday, let's go back in time just a little bit farther. So what brought, you know, taking a couple steps back from that, where were you at before this? What brought you up to where you're at today?
0: For sure. I got into college back in 2003, hmm. graduated in '07. So uh, I had a little bit of a rough start since I graduated right into the recession, graduated in December, 2007. So Recession was already announced in November, so I graduated was right in the first month of the last recession. So I had a tough journey, but uh, all it took for me was about three years to find my feet within the corporate path, to change industries, began in telecommunications, moved on to IT and sales. And I just knew that neither of them was the, was the right choice for me. Uh, that's where I really began to reach out and learn from other entrepreneurs, start building a network. And uh, I started connecting with a lot of recruiters. So I was pretty interested in what recruiters do. And I just wanted them to help me find, you know, find the right paths for me. And uh, believe it or not, they, they decided to hire me, <laughs> you know. So they, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what led to that. But there, was, there must have been some sort of value they saw in, um, in what I had to offer. They offered me an opportunity to work as a recruiter. And that took my entire life in a different direction.
1: So what made you, when you started out, so you graduated from college, other than maybe the COVID era or Great Depression era, certainly top three as far as worst times to graduate as far as for finding a job. You found found some jobs, but you you said they weren't the right fit for you. So what made them not the right fit or what made you decide to kind of switch directions or paths?
0: Yeah, quite frankly, uh, like I I went to school for engineering. So when I graduated in 2007 with a bachelor's degree in electronics engineering, I specialized in software and robotics programming. Mm. I was, that was hot. Today is hot too, but like we're talking about 13 years ago. So being a robotics software engineer, it was even hotter back then than it was today. So Mm. I had this whole plan out of me. I had all these promises of, you know, graduating, starting making, you know, at least $30 an hour. Well guess what? My first starting salary was fifteen dollars and ninety cents. So almost half. Not not quite half of what I was promised, but almost half. Huh. So uh that was tough. So I had a tough, you know, tough it out through just you know, it was tough on the on, on my wallet, but just on your mental health,
1: hmm. you
0: know, which is ultimately today was which is our primary focus but it was tough for me on my mental health. So, you know, all those dreams crashed, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Three years later, when I got into recruiting, when I actually, when I approached that recruiting company, I wanted the job from them (laughs) I wanted to go back to becoming ultimately a robotic software engineer. But uh, I learned the hard truth and um, realized that after many years, after three years at that point, I'd forgotten so many things, especially when it comes to coding programming, you know, We're talking about engineering principles. So it's not as easy as, let me just open up the book, you know, just quickly brush over. No, it doesn't work like that anymore. (laughs) You know, and like that has been development since then. So it means that I had to start from scratch. So uh, that's something that I know that it left a mark. And when I got into recruiting, it just gave me this new uh, purpose, this new mission to make sure, like, if I couldn't do it on my own, if I couldn't go on the path that I was on, I'm going to make sure everybody else like mm-hmm. nobody else makes the same mistakes that I did, you know, nobody else makes those mistakes mm-hmm. uh, And that's been a pattern, like a theme of what I've done over the last 10 years. I started recruiting. This is back in 2010. So up until today, you know, going through these businesses and ideas and just uh, starting something, you know, first, uh, first endeavor was in Toronto.
1: So you, you went from, you tried the robotics, Gave, or, you know, got the engineering degree and came out and decided, well, that was a good four years. He decided it wasn't for you or didn't work. But he said, hey, I don't want everybody or others to go through the same thing I did. So you went into recruiting. You got hired on it, sounds like, for a period of time. And then after that, you decided, hey, I can do this myself or I don't need to work for other, another person. And so you started, tried to start up your own recruiting firm. Is that about right?
0: Uh, that's absolutely right. So, two years into that experience, which was like ridiculously fast for <laughs> the average in that industry. I was able to fast forward through it, get on my feet as an entrepreneur because I had that te- technical background. Mm-hmm. You know, I had the education, I had the solid education, I had solid work experience. So I could actually use it to help companies hire, recruit. Uh, two years into it. So one thing that I, maybe I didn't tell you last time, this is a, a special detail.
1: <laughs> I was
0: actually recruited out of my first job. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we talked about that by another company, by a smaller, uh, competing company. And like, they almost doubled my salary. So Mm -hmm. that was fantastic. I was so happy, you know, (laughs) but on that new job, it was before the three months probation ends. I walked into that, uh, my manager's office and resigned. Mm -hmm. It's basically, Hey, it's been a pleasure working with you, but, um, you know, I got a new mission to pursue. And, you know, that's where my journey started. That was September, 2012.
1: Okay. So you do that and you say, Hey, walk in three months, appreciate all the work. I, I've got to do my own thing. I want to start, you know, start my own thing. And so then you switch over and you say, you know, and I think you mentioned at one point you had a non-compete, you had to wait out a little while. Is that right?
0: Exactly. Exactly. So I had to, that's why I started coaching and recruiting at the same time. Back when I was uh, in the corporate world, the first two years, I was literally taking unpaid vacation days to go to the local community center and just help new immigrants build their resumes, you know, figure out what the hell they're going to do in the new country. So I was super passionate, you know, so that's, that's really what fueled my entrepreneurship. So I was already doing it. I was already, those extra times that I was taking off, I was building that business on the side, but as volunteer work at a community service community center when i left i had i did have a non-compete six months so i started continue full-time coaching went through that and then reestablished conversations and relationships
1: so and just to give for those of the or people of a lot of times may have heard of a non-compete don't really know what they are so the 30 seconds is is a non-compete basically says you know if you hire or sign it with an employer it says for a period of time whatever that period is you're not able to go and work in the same industry and you can't go and approach any of the clients that are we of the company. It kind of gives you basically for that job or for that industry, you're not able to do anything until you wait out your non-compete. So that's just to give them a heads up. So you waited out your non-compete. You decided, okay, I'm going to do the kind of the coaching and the strategy on the side, wait out for the non-compete. And then you'll start your own recruiting firm, doing, your, doing it your own way and, and doing, being your own boss. So you wait out the non-compete and then you started the recruiting. How did that go?
0: Oh, none of those old clients hired me. (laughs) I went from, uh, at the time that I was in, I'm not going to say the company's name. You can see it on my LinkedIn profile, but I think that globally they did $26 billion. Mm. So this is uh second largest globally, second largest staffing firm. So I got my training in the right place, but, mm. and I felt like, all right, I'm just going to go be a lone wolf, call up the same fortune 500 companies. They're going to hire me. Of course I was their lead recruiter at this big corporation, <laughs> but none of that stuff come through, came through. I started working. I just had to totally shift from big business that I was in to startups. So that's where I was helping startups, starting startups in, in Toronto. uh did that for four years. Fast forward to back in 2000 and back in 2016, when I moved to the US, California, came down here, reestablished the business for a second time. Same thing. I tried reaching out to bigger businesses as a, as a, as a one person entrepreneur. One lesson that I learned is that you got to find your audience. Mm. You got to be realistic and you got to manage your own expectations because you can, you can save a lot of time and effort prospecting.
1: So, and you did that, and before we we jump down to moving down to California, so you did that for a few years, and I think we talked about how, while you were still in Toronto and you did that, you started to build the business, you know, first year didn't go well, none of the big clients that you'd had before wanted to come to the Lone Wolf, they wanted to stay with the name recognition, Um, but then you did finally start to get some traction, you started to make some money after working at it for a few years. Started to also do the, the coaching and the career and the writing interviews and writing resumes, and then you met a girlfriend, right? Is that what, if I remember,
0: basically, yeah. So like, it took me three years to break even. First year, it was a total loss. I moved back to my parents' house, <laughs> and uh, with so like, I had my rent was like twenty two hundred. Mm. So I canceled that, moved back to my parents' house, got a very small office in like a industrial area. Behind Western Bakeries. <laughs> so if you're in Toronto, you know where the big Western Bakeries <laughs> are. It's industrial manufacturing, like food production place. So I got a little small office for 700 bucks a month, which mm. fit a desk in it, you know. <laughs> and it was a shared office, so it wasn't all me. It was in a room like this, two people, two two businesses shared the office. Mm. So that was it, you know. I stayed in the office for as long as I took, because uh, they closed down at eight, so pretty much get there, you know, from eight to eight, if not mm. earlier, just go back, crash on the couch, parents basement, <laughs> you know, so I did that for two years, just to break even. And then started traveling, came down to a few sales seminars, entrepreneurship seminars down in down in uh, Anaheim. Mm. And, uh, met whom is presently my wife.
1: <laughs> and hopefully for the rest of your life, your wife, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so, so if I were to say it, so you work and work and work, have to move back with your parents finally get things going you start to make a profit go to a conference meet who will then be your wife and after dating for a long enough period of time you decided okay long distance isn't going to work for forever and you decide to move down to LA and you know basically start over how was it to you know working for so long you know three years I mean in some sense it goes by quickly but also some years that's a long time to work and try and build a business get things going make it profitable how was it you know and i get i get following your love following your heart um, but how was it to say okay i'm gonna leave what is a profitable business because i want to follow follow love want to go down to la and have to start over
0: yeah it was nerve-wracking because uh because i'd never again it's a totally different market you know so especially when it comes to recruiting it's all about relationships Mm -hmm. So I had some, but I was coming here as a one person, you know, one person entrepreneur. So I didn't have a business that was, that had a brand awareness or anything like that. So Mm -hmm. it was nerve wracking. Um, I even started interviewing. So I had two options at that point. I was coming here either with like an entrepreneurship, like a business visa or get a job offer. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to try, you know, Hey, I need to make money. I couldn't do business here. So let's just get a job fast because I knew I could get a job fast. Actually went back to the same company I used to recruit at uh, got an offer, didn't take it. <laughs> you know which was uh I don't mean to laugh at that because I feel bad. we had five interviews and I declined the offer. Uh, that's not nice, but it was like a, I don't know maybe it was like a test. It was mm. like, you know what like what's wrong with you you can see so you did it there in Toronto you can do it here. It was like an awakening. Mm. If, if, you know what I mean it was like yeah. I felt like I was going back to what I was doing before, which is just like, for me, it was like slaving an office, make him a million bucks, take a hundred (laughs) home. You know, if you're a high performer, take 150 home, you know, and then maybe you'll be happy one day and you don't even get to do the coaching stuff Mm. because that coaching stuff is clearly defined. Like you wouldn't be able to do that that, that was a big reason why I was doing unpaid vacation days or I was doing it on the weekends, going to community centers because like these staffing companies, they don't want you to do. It's not a total conflict of interest. Like you're the lawyer, you tell me, <laughs> but like I made sure, you know, I'm not doing something wrong, but what I felt like I was doing at the time is helping people grow. And if I met someone at the community center who I could place as a recruiter, which happened zero times, uh, then that would be great for the business too. You know, but that's just not where you go for recruiting. You know, top-of-the-line candidates whom Fortune 500 companies are willing to pay a hundred thousand to just to hire. You know, so I saw it as a non-compete, as that there's a no conflict of interest. But it's interesting. Sometimes you have to color out line, outside the lines a little bit or take risks.
1: Hmm. So you did that, and I, I think so. You you went got here, and you said, "Oh, I've done an interview, and I've got the great job or great job offer." And at the end of the interview, and they get, make you the offer, you said, "eh, never mind." So then you have to start, you know. And then you start. You said, "Hey, I want to do this my own way. I can do this." You know, I, I got the got your confidence back, your mojo back. He said, "Okay, we're gonna do this." And so you went out and you decided, "I'm gonna build this almost again from scratch with a little bit of connections in the Bay Area." And how did that go for you?
0: Yeah, I started in LA before we moved to before we moved to the Bay uh, for my wife's work. But I started right downtown LA, south of LA, uh, looking, going back after those manufacturing businesses. Because in Toronto, I, I did all of my experience primarily was around manufacturing. So I started working with a few robotics firms, a robotic farming company, a couple of software companies out of Santa Monica. And that was it. That took, and I summarized a year right there. because like, I had to wait, honestly, man, for like eight months for my visa and like paperwork. And then I just went and killed it from there. I hired four companies and that's all I had until we moved to the Bay, pretty much stopped. It was a year later we moved to the Bay in, in 2017. I stopped recruiting because it would have been another from scratch. I had to go and start doing business development. And my heart was at this point fully, you know, given to mental health support and helping the average person figure themselves out, figure their career out. So they can just you know overcome their anxiety, stress, you know, be happy.
1: Hmm. Okay, no, that makes sense. So, so you did that, and you you find you know, so you, it takes a year with what you just summarized, but you start to get traction, and then you know, if I remember right, when we talked a little bit before the podcast, you kind of have two passions or two different things that you like to pursue. One is that. You'd like to, you know, build the recruiting and help people out. We also enjoy the coaching and helping people to figure out their career path, figure out how to find a job, figure out how to do a resume, figure out how to do job interviews, get a better offer negotiating. And I think you mentioned you almost ended up taking more of that path to where you left the recruiting more, or you're at least less focused on it to go more for the coaching. Is that about right?
0: No, that's right. Uh, 2018, I made like about 80 grand less. I remember cause it was a, it's a big hit to your pocket. You know, when you start making good money, you're like, okay, but I'm going to make this business decision. I'm going to close this line of business, this revenue, you know, I'm just going to let go of my clients. It was only four, you know, mm-hmm. but that, that pretty much means like if you have a terrible year, you make a hundred grand from those. If you have a good year, make like, you know, two to That's nice. That absolutely okay. pays everything. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a
1: problem. Yeah.
0: But um, so it wasn't a year like that, but, you know, I could have made it something like that in two, three years, uh, but it wasn't. So the year falling to that, I just stopped the recruiting, took a big hit because, you know, I I estimated one placement per four businesses. That's 20 grand each, that's 80K. So to be fair, you know, (laughs) so I said, okay, well, I lost some money there. How can I get it back? I just need to scale up and uh, really grow my coaching business.
1: So one question on that, because, you know, I've been... I like to read, I always, the time, if I ever have time, which I usually don't, to read business books and you get into that and you you look at reading the business books and, you know, so I, backing up. So if I ever have a time to read a book, it's a business book. My wife always laughs because I always do work. I mean, do startups. I do work with small businesses and it's like, well, how is reading a book about the exact thing, what you do day to day, a fun thing to do? And, you know, that's But anyway, that aside, one of the books I like to read or I have read recently was on Netflix. And so Netflix, if you remember, they started out, now everybody knows streaming service, right? And they still have their DVD service. But when they started out, it was much more of a store where you could either go and buy a DVD. And they had the largest at that time. DVDs were brand new. So there wasn't, there's only like 1,000 or 2,000 out there. So they had almost every DVD on the market. And they also, you could, then they kind of had a split business market or business thing of, hey, we can either do the selling of the DVDs, which is where they're making most of their money at the time, but they also have Amazon up and coming, or they can move over to more of the DVDs by mail, and then they had later pivoted to or built into that streaming. But they had that kind of that critical junction of most of our money is coming from DVD sales, and yet we see the future of either where we want to go and where we need to be is – you know, the mailing, the DVDs by mail, and that's what we need to figure out. So they left basically for pennies on the dollar left the selling the DVD market to focus on the mail. So, you know, that one's always an interesting, and sometimes it's a hard one because you're saying, Hey, I'm making good money We're, you know, this is the core of the business. How do we switch over? So when you made that switch over and you decide, okay, well, I'm going to focus much more on the coaching, on helping people negotiate, write resumes, do everything that they need to do to land the best job they can. How did, how did that, so you made that transition. Did it go well? Did it not go well? And you touched on a little bit, but you know, how, how did that making that, first of all, how did, or how did you arrive at that decision that you're going to make that switch? And then, then, then what did you, how did it go after that?
0: Yeah, for sure. It wasn't, it wasn't all feeling and, you know, it wasn't all emotion. It was definitely, let's just give it 50% emotion and heart and passion, but the other 50% that forced my hand was um, you know, software and AI has been taking over recruiting for a very long time. And for me, very long time is like five years is a very long time in tech, right? So I noticed the changes um, right away with with a company called HireVue. So I actually, have, they're, they're amazing, you know? So the AI interviewing and video interviewing where even AI assesses, assesses your video. So it's fully robotics interviewing, you know? Yeah.
1: And side note: are. Interesting. Previous one, one of the firms I work with actually did some of their patent work, so I'm actually fairly familiar with it. I love HireVue. They're, they're a little <laughs> out here in Utah, and I've done some of their patent work previously. So that is so cool, man! So like, small connection.
0: See things like that. Small world. Things like that. I was like, oh my god! Like the staffing industry is in business. Mm. You know. And, uh, that's one pattern. So if you're in the business, you know, that a lot of businesses, organizations are, have been bringing recruiting in-house through corporate Mm. recruiting and internal talent acquisition Mm. programs. Talent acquisition has been growing for about, again, three to four years, extensively Mm. creating new departments, diversity and inclusion, inequality, you know, equality and equity programs. Uh, there are so many extensions to HR right now, and they're all coming in-house, uh, That's what I saw. I saw the staffing industry, the third-party recruiting industry being a lot of problem, in a lot of trouble. And uh, fast forward to COVID-19, one of the top three, among the top three biggest hit industries is the staffing industry. You know, um, a lot of people that I know, I have a big, obviously big network within recruiters. A lot of them have been unhappy, to say the least.
1: Hmm. No, and I think that you know, looking at the trends, looking at where it's going, and sometimes you know, while it can be hard to make that pivot or hard to make that adjustment, it, it can, in the long run, is more or makes it much better. So, making you made that pivot, you made that adjustment, both from looking at the trends, what you enjoyed, where you think you had the most impact, kind of roll that all together, made that jump. How did that go for you? Was it enjoyable? Went well? More of a starting over, doing a new build, or how did how did that transition go for you?
0: It was stressful because uh, I knew I had to ramp up, you know, like from the, as, as a revenue source, I had to match up the revenue source that I chose to shut down. So mm-hmm. it was challenging to just fill my time with one-on-one consulting. It did give me an opportunity to sort of prove a process, validate a strategy or an idea or a concept and turn it into like a end-to-end coaching program. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's never easy you know anytime you do it for a second time it's easy obviously it's easier and easier but it was very challenging to just decide because I knew I could pick up the phone at any point hustle for a couple of weeks get a job order from a business fill it within a month and make like you know 30 to 50 grand at a high level especially at this point I'm in the bay area so with all those years of experience and i'm like oh my god how much do you make you're a software developer you make 300 grand and i'm doing the math i'm like if i place you i make 60k i used to place you in toronto and make you know like 9k Now mm-hmm. i can make 60k in the day you know mm-hmm. but i'm not gonna do it because i love coaching <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it's a, it's a mental it's a mental game you know <laughs>
1: So, no, and I get that. But, you know, I think it's, it's a lesson of you can sometimes the things that can make you the most money in life aren't going to make you the most happy, right? So if all, that you was it. Were, if all you were chasing is, hey, I want to be make as much money as I can, you wouldn't, you'd make, make a different decision. But money, contrary to the you know, common thought, money doesn't always make happiness. Now. If you don't have enough money or you have no money, it's also hard to be happy. So you do have to find that balance. But I think it is you find what you enjoy, and a lot of times, you know, maybe the the front end maybe more take a hit. But if you if it's still something that's needed out in the marketplace and people want, and, it, and and you can make a good living at it because you you're going to be passionate, you're going to want to do it, you're going to wake up excited to do it as a and say I'm going to go out and help a lot of people. So so as we kind of start to wrap up the podcast, and people are saying, okay, now, now I want to reach out to you. I want to you know, get involved, I want to, um, you know, use your service, I want to uh, have or have your coaching and so I can land that $300,000 job in the Bay Area. What is the what's the best way for them to connect up to with you? Uh, go
0: to our website, EngineerYourMission dot com.
1: Okay, yeah, you can
0: definitely find me on LinkedIn. That's where I spend all of my days, you know, making connections, building relationships, you know, sharing videos, content. But on our website, engineeryourmission.com, you'll have access to more information.
1: Okay, perfect. Invite everybody to go there. So now as we hit the end of the podcast, I always have two questions that I always ask. So I'll ask you those now. So the first question I always ask is, is what's the worst business decision you ever made?
0: Um, Not delegating soon enough. You know, right now I have a team of four and I feel like now I feel like, wow, how how are we functioning like this? We need more support. Why is everybody's working full-time? And I rewind the tape back a couple of years. I'm like, how was I doing all of this on my own? And then I realized, well, I don't have the success that I have now back then because I was all on my own. So just deciding to do everything on your own. I still have those tendencies. It's a personality thing, but as long as you become conscious of it, it allows you to uh, to delegate as best as you can
1: no, I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people that are kind of have the entrepreneur and startup uh spirit in the sense that you always you always think you can do it better, or hey, by the time I train somebody else or have somebody else do it, I can do it just as quick or quicker, and it's going to take more work to do it than if I just try and do it myself and so you know I think that that's one where you always have to say now, short term that's probably the case. maybe I can do it quicker, but long term, if I want this to grow, if I want to make it bigger and I want to you know able to, or have more people on the team. I can't control everything and I can't do everything myself. And so I think that that's a hard lesson that a lot of people, you always have to learn no matter who you are, as you go through the processes, how you delegate, and how you let people have that um, roles and responsibilities that you need. You, you can't do it all yourself and which ones you hand off and how you hand it off. So, so do that. And then second question that I always hit on is um, so if you're talking to somebody that was just getting into a startup or small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them?
0: <laughs> I was going to say, don't do what I did. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would say, especially since a lot of entrepreneurs, they are going, they want to do do it themselves. So piggybacking on, on the com- previous conversation, uh, you are right. It is easier to do it yourself. It is faster to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? You have been doing it yourself. Uh, but, Draw a line, you know, so when you look at your business plan, when you're looking at your uh, launch plan, just draw a line at one point of, a, of the process and just stop there at that stop at that point and know that you wouldn't move forward. So if it, you do everything, you do all the planning strategy and everything, draw a line at designing the website, <laughs> you know, like, that is not you and everything that comes after that and in that category. Because I felt like I, I've been trying to do a little bit, of, little bit of help out of kindness. Let's try to help everybody out, you know, in the team. Or, you know, even if you're on your own, let's see, let's see how many things I can do. Rather than if I'm good at these two things, just do these two things really well. And just draw a red line around the other stuff that I haven't started. I know I'm not going to good at it. So just draw those lines, have boundaries around things that you should do yourself and do them well, do more of them, do it for longer, you know, sacrifice your time or whatever you need to do, get it done. But the ones that you have to go and learn from scratch, like mistakes I've made is like going and learn online marketing, taking courses. I should have just got someone to do this three, four years ago, rather than take two years to learn it and then delegate it. So everything I've learned, I'm not even using So it's it's goes back to time management, the delegation, and just deciding what to learn, even what not to learn. Cause we feel good when we're learning new stuff or starting a new business. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go learn project management. Well, why? Are you gonna be doing the project management? Or would it be better to do, you know, to think it to someone else?
1: No, I think that's and I think learning how to delegate it's a it's a thing that it's a hard thing. Yeah. And where I always, where I found is two things is the things I usually keep for myself and otherwise I try and delegate. And one is things that I really love and am passionate and enjoy. I try to keep those to myself or at least keep involved with it because those are where I want, you know, if I'm passionate about it, I'll probably do the, you know, do a lot better job at it. And then two are the things that others can't do. Meaning if I got some specialized experience or expertise, or I know how to do this and others don't, and it's going to take way too long too difficult to bring them up to speed or it doesn't make sense I'll usually keep those for myself and everything else I've usually you know, I think it's if as you grow and it is a, a kind of a growth thing right so if you're starting out if you're doing a bootstrap you're a one guy show you can't delegate you don't even have the budget to necessarily pay yourself a little on other people but then as you grow I always look and say okay now let's how do I reinvest this I can sure I can take home a bigger paycheck now but if I do that, that I'm never, I can never grow it. And long run, it's not going to help the business. So I think that those yeah. are, are a great lesson learned is to learn to delegate.
0: And partner. So I'll leave them with that. So, you know, partner with someone, uh, trying to always, you know, be like, Oh, well, if I partner, they take half my money. Like, no, don't, don't let your animal brain speak to you like that. You know, it's not about automatically they take half your money or don't go towards cliches. If you need someone, just, just partner with someone, especially if this is your first business. What if it fails? The chances are it will fail, you know? So the sooner you fail, the sooner your second business is going to be better. This is my third one, the one that I launched yesterday, you know, like total different business plan. It's same me, same business, but completely different business plan. So, um, look forward to failing, you know, and partner with people, you know, don't, don't, don't hate friends when it comes to businesses, mm. you know, cause I've had the opportunity to work with friends. I didn't. Cause like, all right, well, we're friends, I don't want to hurt our friendships, you know, mm cliche you watch too many movies just find the right people if you trust them you know start working with them and if it fails it fails you know you learn from it you you
1: keep going no i mean that's all all great advice and certainly something people should take to heart so well as we reach the end of the podcast i appreciate you sharing your journey encourage people to reach out to you and uh, use your services use your coaching use your ability to help make more money and find the job they love And uh, wish you all the best and luck on your journey and your future part of your journey and the success. Um, For those of you that are wanting to come on the podcast and tell your journey, um, feel free to go to inventivejourneyguest.com and apply to be on the podcast. And for those of you that are current listeners, make sure to subscribe so you can catch all the new episodes. And if you need any help with uh, patents and trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at uh, Miller IP Law and we're here to help. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. It has been a pleasure. It's been fun to have you on, and uh, wish you the next uh, or the next part of your journey the best.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it.